Hi there, thanks for being here. I'm Greg, a coach and the co-founder of Derby, a course and community to find direction. In this podcast, I'm interviewing people who found direction and dared to be, that defined who they wanted to become, confronted their fears, and took bold action to reach their own definition of success. I hope that you get inspired by their stories and that you learn about the realities, the joys, and the challenges of their journey. If you're interested to find out more about the course in our community, go to www.darebe.me. Dare be yourself, my friends. My guests today are two dear London friends. Uh, and I'm sitting actually in their home right now in front of them, and which is very nice actually to be recording and uh, seeing each other for real. And they are also husband and wife. Joe comes from Poland and Sweden. Pierre comes from South Africa. And together they founded Nordic Balance, an incredible business where they provide a circle of care to people in London. The business started as a gym in Mayfair in London and has now expanded with two therapy clinics in Southwest London. On Google Maps, the gym has 4.9 star ratings for the gym in Mayfair, while their first clinic has a five straight rating. They have infused the business with their values of excellence, authenticity, and maybe the most important of all, care for their customers and for their people. I think you would ask their 20-year-old selves, and they probably would not believe what they have accomplished and where they are today. It's really my pleasure to be hosting on this podcast, Joe and Pierre Meyer. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'd like to start today by asking you about key moments in your life. Joe, you're from Poland and Sweden, and you ended up here in London. Maybe you can explain how did you arrive here? I can, yes. Mostly from Sweden, because I grew up all my life there. But I traveled the world and never wanted to come to London. And I was never looking for long-term anchors. I wasn't looking for a house. I wasn't looking for a husband, children, or a company. But I was looking for fun, and London wasn't on my uh, list of things to do. But then a former employer wanted me to come and work for them. I had studied previously to do art, but I was lured into the world of uh, catering. And so I came to London to work in catering as, as a manager. And this catering firm didn't quite work out, and I was very relieved to go home. And when I came home, I realized that I very much missed London and came back. And now I've been here for 23 years. And I continued my journey doing the catering for majority of it. And that is how I met Pierre. We met in my last working places in catering. He was standing in the reception and looking very handsome and I couldn't resist <laughs> him. And despite my very hard values that I will never get involved with anybody at work, I did. And here we are today. So yes, it's, uh, it's been a long journey. But how I arrived at Nordic Balance is more that I realized after doing the catering for many years that actually I very much didn't like it. I was good at it, but that's mostly because I'm good at most physical, practical things. But I didn't enjoy it. So what I did enjoy was physical health and fitness and well-being. And so I re-educated myself to become a personal trainer. And that's how I started that, is slowly how, I guess, the seed was born for Nordic Balance. I became a personal trainer, and 
Life was pretty good for about seven months, and then we realized we were pregnant, which obviously was a very welcome surprise, but uh, a surprise nonetheless. And then it was all very scary from then onwards. Every day I kept asking myself, oh my gosh, what have I done? What have we done? And as the time ticked by and I got to the due date, I realized very quickly that I couldn't continue doing what I was doing in the same way after the birth of our child. And Pierre came up with some stories on his own and... That's how we ended up with Nordic Balance. Mm -hmm. Does that answer your question? I think that lays the ground beautifully for the the, the rest of our conversation. (laughs) Thanks, Joe. What about you, Pierre? South Africa is an interesting place to come from. I think the reality is that you finish your university education. I studied finance and economics. I should have been sitting in a bank somewhere, but we realized halfway through that it wasn't necessarily for me. I, I never really liked the idea of sitting behind a computer all the time. I think that maybe I'm more of a people person, I suppose, if I had to look at where, what I'm passionate about. Well, most uh, South Africans had finished their degrees. We get on a plane, we head to sunny London because we love the weather, warm beer and all that kind of stuff. But actually, I had a group of friends that we all decided to come over. And so we arrived in London and from there proceeded to do completely unrelated things. So ended up working in catering, which is where I met Joe, which is good. I felt like I didn't really know what I was doing in terms of sort of general direction. I knew I didn't want to do what I'd studied, which I think was an important part of it. And I enjoyed bits of what I studied, just not... I didn't want to go and work in a bank. I didn't want to, I didn't care about derivatives and things like that. That wasn't necessarily something that got me going. But the finance of how to run a business and things like that was much more interesting. And then went on a roundabout kind of tour of doing all sorts of different things and worked as a head of marketing for a big retailer and then was working as a consultant. And then Joe obviously was working as a PT and we, we then took a decision two days before our son's uh, due date to quit. So I quit my job. I was working as a consultant at the time and Joe obviously was just about to go on paternity leave or maternity leave and working self-employed. There was really, there was, there was no like safety net. It was basically just the two of us. And, and then I quit my job and said, let's do this thing. I think South Africans, we have no net around us. You're taught to stand on your own two feet very fast. You can't rely on other people to look after you. It was never really in doubt that I would work for myself. Just the question is what I would do. This is a great context. So, Joe, you said earlier, the last thing I was really expecting was to go and live in London or that I wanted, but ultimately you ended up there, left London and then came back. Just curious, what made you want to come back? I really enjoyed the vibe in in London, but also I think what was happening, realistically speaking, was that I was maturing a little bit. I think um, up until the point where I came to London, I was very unsettled as a person, as not really knowing where I wanted to go, what direction I wanted to go, where I wanted to be. And I think moving around from one country to another and living in so many different countries that I did, I think was just a form of coping with not settling down. And I think coming to London, it was a little bit more serious job. It was a little bit more serious pay. And I realized actually maybe the time was good to be a little bit more serious. And you, Pierre, you said that's what most South African do. After studies, you head to London. How simple was that choice? I maybe make it sound a little simpler. I remember sitting with my parents when I'd finished my university and I sat them down and said, I'm leaving the country and I'm going to move to the UK. And my dad was really frustrated and angry. And I think he felt, why are you leaving? My view at the time was, 
that I didn't really feel like I belonged enough in South Africa, weirdly. I just never really connected with it in the right kind of way. I was also 22, 23 years old, so at that time you look at it and say, if I'm not gonna do it now, I'm never gonna do it. Because obviously there's a very clear path in front of you, which is you end up getting married and having kids and then you, you know, maybe don't do these things. So yeah, it was a bit of a tough conversation. And then the downside was obviously coming over to the UK and coming over to London, one of the most expensive cities in the world. You travel with South African rands. If anyone's ever been there, you'll feel like a rock star when you go there. The flip side is you feel like a pauper when you come here. And obviously didn't have that much money. So it was, you arrive and I didn't know what I was going to do. So I ended up doing just a, you know, bad job working in a restaurant effectively with, with an honors degree in finance and economics. And of course, at this point, it's reinforced to my family that I'd made the wrong choice. It was like, how could you do this? You've spent so much money on your education, so much time and energy. I suppose I, I, I didn't know what the answer was. I just knew what I didn't want at that point. And I suppose what mm -hmm. I didn't want was A, to be in South Africa and B, also to be working in the world of finance. So there began a fairly long and windy journey to get to where we are. But so yeah, in retrospect, it's an obvious choice, but at the time it wasn't quite as obvious. And I remember landing in February, which February in Cape Town is a fairly amazing time of the year. I think I got on the plane, I'd been on the beach in the morning. I got on the plane, I still got off the plane in Heathrow, wearing shorts, flip-flops, uh, a t-shirt and a little jumper effectively. I still had sand on my feet. And obviously you got met with London in February, which is people don't write a lot of poems about London in February. It's a fairly We're dark sad ones. <laughs> it's a fairly dark time. <laughs> so that was a bit of a rude awakening, I think is probably uh, the best way to put it. Well, if we could maybe fast forward, so you spent time in the catering business and then you switched to doing um, some PT work, personal training, and you, Pierre, you did more work on more corporate side. And then you met somewhere along that road And then you decided, I quit. And we actually found Nordic Balance, the business that you have today. Can you walk us through what may, in retrospect, sound obvious now, but I'm sure wasn't then? The thing about this was that Joe really never wanted to do this. So Joe basically came out of working in catering and she got herself to a really, like, a, you know, a high level in, in management, working across nine different restaurants in central London for a very big, respected restaurant group. But with, I don't know, 200 people working underneath her, essentially, combined with a Swedish straightforwardness of how to say things, meant that the people management side of her world was not something that ever really excited her. Uh, what it meant was that what Joe loved maybe about the PT side of things was that effectively it was super simple. It was just her doing what she did. She made a decent amount of money. She was very good at it and all that kind of stuff. But I always wanted to work for myself, always. So the question was, what were we going to do? And I had no issue working with Joe. That's how we met initially. And I kind of uh, thought, well, that's, it's an obvious thing to make. But as she was getting busier from a PT side of things, I remember we started talking and going, we should maybe think about hiring people to do this for you and, and going from there. And Joe was like, oh, I don't want to manage people and I don't want to do that. And to be honest, at the time, we didn't even know what it was going to look like. We were just like, we have a bit of an opportunity here. We, I said, I love how it's we, right? So she's the one that's doing all the work. And it's, a, it's a we opportunity. <laughs> and we started looking at it and saying, well, actually, we've got an opportunity here to do something, which might be the start of the whole thing. And then serendipity kicked in. And that's one of my favorite words. A series of things started to happen around us, which we were very open to, I think, which then allowed us to get a gym on St. James's Square and allowed us to get a corporate arrangement with a local business, which was effectively how the whole thing started. Do you want my version? Yes, tell us your <laughs> version too. Would you like my version? <laughs> that's the interesting one. <laughs> yeah, so I, because I was a bit older when I became a PT, I was very nervous 
scared is not the right word, but nervous, because most PTs are very young, they're 19, 20, 22, very fit, slim, fast. It's the kind of the industry we're yeah. in, right? So I was not that. And whilst I was fit, I was also very nervous. I came from a highly paid job to nothing. And I thought, gosh, who's going to want to train with an old personal trainer? And actually, because I have, despite my English language, a very sunny predisposition, <laughs> I acquired clients extremely quickly and build up a very good client base, worked into different places, because I think what I don't have in terms of skills, because I, unlike Pierre, didn't go to university. I didn't feel I had the technical skills to build a company either with Pierre or with myself. What I did have, however, is an ability, I think, to think very laterally. And I came up with some ideas, found some places and established my client base very quickly. One spot was in the city, one spot was in St. James's Square. And I started to work there. And so you were renting places. Yeah. And then the place where I worked in St. James's Square closed down and I was stuck with these clients who I was training. And one of my clients just said, oh, I know this really bad gym in St. James's Square. It looks really rubbish and there's like mice on the floor. I don't know if you want to go there, but you can train me there. So I said, okay, let's go and check it out. And we checked it out. And yes, it was awful. There was the really thick TVs on the screen. The carpet on the floor was broken and frayed. And it looked really pretty scabby, to be honest. But we started to train there. And slowly, some of my other clients came along and trained there. And then they must have loved me. And actually, there was one client who said, no, I will never come back here also. So some people didn't love me enough, obviously. Some people did. And overall, my position was very clear at the time and it was very good. And then when we did get pregnant, it was everything was thrown back into the deep end of things. And I started to immediately alarm bells going off. What now? And what are we going to do financially and otherwise? Pierre seemed to be a lot more relaxed about it. He got himself a nice new job and then we thought maybe we'll rely on that. But that didn't work out because the job wasn't flexible with parental leave. So when they told Pierre, you won't be able to take time off for the birth of your son, Pierre just threw the towel in and said, okay, and then I quit. And then we were both out of work with three days before the birth of our first child, which was far from ideal. And... At that point, I think we both had to, we were forced to think laterally. And Pierre came up with this idea that we'll get somebody on board, that we'll take over my clients. I was a little bit reluctant. And then I realized I had to go with it. I actually had to go with this because otherwise it will mount to nothing, all my work. And pretty much at the same time, the, the very scabby gym we were producing these PT sessions and decided to throw the gym out to tender and to three different companies to see if somebody can run it for them. His eyes then lit up and he was like, yeah, let's do this. And I was maybe a little less, but I realized at the time that was the right thing. And yeah, in the middle of pregnancy and birth and somewhere in between, we decided to go for it and we got it. So you got pregnant. I love how you say we've got pregnant and uh, you found a job. Yeah. Yeah. And they wouldn't give you the parental leave, so you quit. Of course. Well, While obviously Joe also was not gonna have income. Yeah. So as you say it both, you've said it I think three times now, it sounds like, yeah, of course, and Pierre quit his job. That sounds like a huge decision to make. 
It was. Look, I didn't, Joe and I sat down and spoke about it. So this was my dream job in a way. So to give you an idea, 30 years old, part of my job was working for the hotel groups and big hotel groups as a consultant, telling them all about the trends in the hotel industry, restaurants, bars, things like that. It's a very sociable element of my job. It involved me understanding different trends in the industry. Amazing job on paper, but of course the practicality of it meant that I was going to go um, out a lot and you had clients coming in from New York who were going to Morocco someone once said to me and I remember it, it's one of those cliches they said you're never going to lie in your deathbed and wish that you'd work more you're going to lie in your deathbed and wish you'd spent more time with your family and I think I it's one of those weird things that always just stuck with me and, and although I was then working in this job which on paper was amazing and I was working with the CEO of this business and it was a bit of a fast track thing and effectively he wanted to grow his business and he thought that I was the right guy to do it what I realized was it wasn't the right environment for us and then when they Said, you, you, we don't legally have to give you any time off while your um, son is born. I thought, like, how many kids are we going to have? We can have two, right? I'm not going to miss this for a job. So for me, it started becoming a reasonably simple decision at that point. I think the other thing, the, the role wasn't working the way I thought it was going to work. And I, so it's not that it went from amazing role to they made this decision and I quit. It, it was, sure, it felt like we were losing something. I don't know. Not that I didn't doubt myself or I just always thought that something would work out. I, I feel like sometimes when your back's against the wall is when you, it has the ability to still things down and you actually think quite clearly. And then if you overlay the fact that we were having our first child and we, we don't have any family around us, obviously South African and Sweden, we've got no support structure around us, we couldn't get our heads around the logistics of how we we're going to make that work. You guys obviously know the same things, right? So if you've got kids, who looks after the kids while you're working? What happens to your careers? What are we going to do here? So actually in the back of our minds, we started to talk a lot about was designing our lives to work for us. So finding a solution that would work well with our family probably at the middle of the whole thing so that we could spend the time that we wanted with them and hopefully earn some money doing it at the same time. When did the the gym in Mayfair become available? When did you hear about it in relationship to <coughs> Finn's birth? It was whilst we were, I was pregnant. We were presenting our thoughts and our ideas to the board. I had just had Finley, and in fact, Finley was downstairs, do you remember, mm. waiting for us. And it was like, we had to have Finley with us everywhere we went. And, you know, so he was very young then. There was another thing that happened at the same time, which did make it slightly easier, which was Rupert, one of Joe's clients at the time, who Joe had been training, who then came and said to her, oh, we're actually moving offices. We want to put a gym in our office. We want you to staff it. And obviously Joe was just about to go on maternity leave. They were prepared to pay on a monthly retainer, so we then needed staff that could go in and do that, which if you combine these two things, it gave us a little bit of capacity to take people on, which was then quite interesting. Yeah, and I also think it's the belief of Rupert was quite fundamental to Nordic Balance and still is. His belief in my capabilities as a PT all of a sudden took a different turn. That is what slightly changed things for me when I realized that actually I must be pretty decent at what I do and to gain that trust, he's very like prominent in the world yeah. of funds. So that was the opener for us. And they gave us ideas that actually we can get more exactly. of these sort of businesses yeah. and actually we can make this into something else. We also both probably believed that if it didn't work, we could do something. We could probably end up getting a job doing what we were previously doing. I think yeah. was probably, we don't think we ever yeah. really discussed that, but I think we just assumed we both got into reasonably senior levels in specific industries and actually in reality we had good enough contacts that probably if push came to shove we could have gone back into it it wasn't something that we wanted to do but it felt like we had a bit of a safety net yep. 
It was a sticky period. I remember this very well. It's super vivid for me where, for me, the priority was still PT. And I would only, I only had three months maybe, not even with Finley, full time at home. And then I came to the gym and Pierre would come with me and he would sit in the hallway and hold Finley. And I would ask people to do squats and lunges and exercises and then come back and I would breastfeed Finley, go back into the gym, do some more, go back to, to Pierre and... We would sit in different cafes around Piccadilly Circus and basically breastfeed. <laughs> and, and Pierre would be the person to take wow. care of, the, of Finley and then work on some other things. It was far from ideal. And I think it was, it was actually, looking back at it, pretty inconvenient and very not optimal at all from like bonding relationship with Finley. It was all very much unstable at that stage. Mm-hmm. But... I think we both felt that there was something more there to be had, and so we keep going. I think it was not even something we discussed. Should we do this? Is this right? Is this going to work? We were maybe a little bit more naive in that sort of sense, where we thought it will be okay, whatever will happen will be okay. We will be okay, because we've got each other, and we can do this. And if it doesn't, if it's not okay, then it will be something else. Yeah, it was strange, but we never actually considered quitting we never considered that as not being something we never even discussed plan b basically bear in mind this is 2008 20th of december or something like that so the world had basically fallen on everyone's heads if you think about it it's not maybe the smartest play still didn't question it thinking about it now not questioning it was really crazy yeah we didn't have a car we barely had a bicycle we had our flat and then we had our son and that's it yeah it does sound quite amazing that you took that Worry. step and you so you really either you really wanted something so hard that you were ready to take the risks or you were reckless <laughs> maybe a bit of both yeah maybe a bit of both we are a husband and wife team and i think there's so many bits of them that are weird for lots of people but there's so many bits of it that actually make a lot of sense when you get to know us we are massively different and i think what i don't do well joe does well and what joe doesn't do well i do well so i think between us we're reasonably complete and we maybe knew that on a subconscious level quite early on yeah. that actually we could figure it out. We just didn't overthink it too much in terms of potential loss and potential downsides. There was very little downside for us because actually what we realized is, well, we just had a newborn baby. We weren't really going to be doing much. It's not like we're going out. We're not really traveling. We're not going to be spending any money. Okay, so we wouldn't be earning money, but we felt like if we're going to do it, now's the time to do it. And then we started hiring people. Then we realized we were paying them more money than we were paying ourselves by a long way. We weren't really paying ourselves much. We had very little income coming in. But of course, we had this contract that was coming in from this fund, and we had to get good trainers. And I remember the first time sitting down and interviewing people, placing an ad and getting people in and, and sitting down in a coffee shop in Cafe Nero on German Street and interviewing these people who wanted to come and work for us. And we were like, you've got to realize, we're like, we don't even know what we're doing here. We, have no, <laughs> we were like, we have no clue. Are you sure about that? And, and it was astounding that people actually wanted to come and work for us. But of course, then we had to pay them like salaries and things like that. And we ended up completely overpaying them because our, our predisposition was to trying to get people for the long term as opposed to just a sort of a, bit of a quick win. Just build from there. But. When you look back, what would be the next big step for you from the gym forward? I spoke about opening the clinics. We opened Abbeville in 2019 and obviously Wimbledon a couple of months ago. And I think those were the next, the evolution of the whole thing for us. 
I think the downside is we ended up being very involved in our business. When you start a business and you start it from where it was, we tend to do everything and we're very involved in the granular detail and all that kind of stuff. And I think after doing it for years and years, it just felt like we needed to be a little bit more ambitious about what we wanted to do. You needed to be more ambitious. And then I think we started to gain a lot of belief in terms of how we did things. And then that helped things to take a nice big step forward. That was probably the next big catalyst for us as a company. That's where I really struggled, actually. I really struggled to see this as we've got this company and it's really great. I Mm. I struggled to recognize the fact that we have a company and it's actually really great. Mm. I try to play (laughs) down often. People say, oh, do you do? Oh, I've got a little gym in St. James. It's great. I don't even call it gym half of the time. I sometimes, oh, we've got a little studio. (laughs) And I always, it can't be. We, We are not like this big company that has, how did this happen? Now it feels much more real, actually. So for you, it was, it was harder. It was a struggle. Yeah, struggle more of a, not a struggle about my ambition or my my abilities, but more of a, I, I think I was, a, I wanted to slow everything down because I had so much self-doubt. I didn't know whether I wanted to actually get back into that position of all of a sudden managing people, managing things and having to, to deal with all of that when actually I had sampled the good life of just managing myself. And Pierre was very ambitious and he wanted to do this. And so his belief was always that we were going to, to be a bigger or something more. For me, it was more like, oh, okay, we've got this little gym. Let's just stick with that. That's really great. He was like, no, let's open a, another unit. I was like, hang on a minute. That's going to change things. So I think I stopped us from moving forward with the next step that you're referring to. So we had this gym and we were happy and we had the kid and we were happy and everything was going great. And then Pierre started to more and more frequently pick on this slight little hole going, we need another place. And then in the end, I was like, okay, fine, let's get another place. And again, very much like for me, most things in my life, there are the best things in my life and the best things that has happened to me has been the unexpected. So I didn't expect to be in London and I've been here for 23 years. I didn't expect to meet my future husband in a restaurant where I worked and here we are. I didn't think I wanted a house and I have two. I definitely was very unsure whether children was something I wanted to, to have in my life and I have two. And the last thing now, we got a dog that I never thought I wanted and I Slowly love him. Slowly but surely. So actually this has like unfolded for me in a weird sort of way. And referring back into the business, our second development with Abbeville, the, the clinic, has been very much like that too. I said in the end, I went, fine, let's get another place. And we went out and it was very much just a gut feeling. We were driving in the car, we were driving around, maybe here, maybe there. I was like, there. And we both went, yeah, there, let's go there, let's do this. And a year later, we have a clinic there. Yeah. And then then we went for another ride. And then we went for another ride a little while ago too. And we're (laughs) going to keep going for rides if I have my own way here. But anyway, I think Joe, I think she's hit the nail on the head. I think my frustration ever has always been that I feel like I'm much more ambitious. But it comes back to the point that I made previously, which is that actually I think it's important that you can't just have a me and you can't just have a Joe. Because weirdly, between us, we would never do anything in the way that we do it now. Because actually, she tempers my ambition a lot and makes things a lot more realistic. And I suppose maybe I push her on to do things that she wouldn't have done previously. And I think we find that sort of middle ground. And you, Pierre, you've always seen this as bigger than it was. Can you explain that a little more? I'm always fascinated by other businesses and what they do and how they do it. We don't have plans to be Amazon or anything like that, but it's just, I quite enjoy that idea of building something, I suppose, and building something of 
value and that's not financial value i think but building something of value that actually does makes a difference with people and that can exist without us and i say that in a way which is like not to have us driving it every single day i suppose the gym was the just starting the gym was the sort of first step of the whole process where all of a sudden we effectively got given a gym on st james's square and you go like, why would we never take this? It wasn't, that wasn't really a conversation. Like, why were you? So there were six paying members of the gym at the time on St. James's Square. You look at it and you're like, wow, that's pretty bad. Because it was pretty bad. But we always had a sense of wanting to improve it. We then took quite a slow route to get to that place. I was listening to something previously. And this guy had worked in the same place for 18 years. And then he went off and started another business, which became a sort of runaway success. He said, well, I had an 18-year MBA. It was just a learning process for him. And that's what we did. Our priority has always been around the kids. But it was... But whilst the business was then starting to grow and it was becoming more than just Joe and more than just a personal trainer or two, it actually started getting hundreds of members and you get an operation and you get a team of 20 people around you and you get all the culture that goes along with it. That's where actually I think maybe I quite enjoy it. I don't think I'm great at it. I think I'm learning and figuring it out. But that's the bit that really excites me is sort of doing that. It comes back to also that thing around designing your life that kind of make it work around you. I've always just thought that to get to that place, you need a bit of scale. You can't just be a one man band all the time. You've got to be able to create a system, a business that has process in it that people can do that that can grow that you're not involved in the day-to-day on an ongoing basis and like I said it's taken us a long time to get to that place I don't read much but what I read back then was that in order to get really great success it's not even just about the knowledge it's not even just about having the, the university degree it's about pouring your love and real attention into what you're doing and if you love something it will be a success because if you just enjoy doing what you do it will be contagious and people will come to you and I think actually that kind of happened to us in St. James's I remember sitting in our flat in Vauxhall saying we never had Sunday blues which used to happen to us all the time previously mm-hmm. and we still don't we still do not ever feel like oh my god it's monday oh my god it's friday we don't mm. have those fluctuations because for us it's just another great day and as the business has grown and, and evolved and moved we have evolved and moved with it so we have a, now a lot of different outs for what we do so now i pour my love into the business much more from a artistic level I love the making sure that it looks nice and smells nice and visually is pleasing. And that is my love to the business. And Pierre thrives on building it from the inside, the, the, the systems, the way it's going to work, the way it looks on the website. And it all merges. It's just all about feeling really strongly about your product, just the detail, and then not worrying that much about yep. what it lo- looks like to other people. And because we have enjoyed it, it has become what it is today. But the downside of doing something that you love is that you, you take the success well, but of course you take the failures really personally. Over the last 13 years of doing this, we've had to try and learn not to do. And the failures invariably are failures with people. And that's the bit that I'm the one that lies in bed at three o'clock in the morning stressing about our world because of whatever reason. But invariably, it's a people-related issues that come up. So I think we may be painted in a lovely way that we love what we do, and we do. And I suppose you couldn't really have it any other way but the people side of things is what really gets us every time we lose someone we take it so personally still we've got a team coming up to 40 now we've lost a lot of people in the last 13 years Mm. we've kept a lot of people too which is great but um 
But that's the bit that makes it really hard. It comes back to that thing about sitting with people and interviewing them and when we started out and wow, they really want to come and work for us. Now I can understand maybe why people want to come and work for us. Not because I think we're amazing, just because I think we offer something which is good. We've got a good system around them and we create a good environment. There's good culture within the business. What's been most rewarding for you? Probably opening the first clinic. It took us 10 and a half years to open another business. So St. James on balance has been very rewarding, but it's been such a slow evolution of a business that if you stop and look back, you all of a sudden go, wow, you mentioned 4.9 stars in Google. There's one bad one star review, which is the first one that we got, which still pains me. Looking back, you go, wow, that's actually really cool. But it was never a go. Whereas I felt like if we could open up the next one and we could get financially in a decent enough place reasonably quickly, that would be great. We found the site, amazing site, and, and did the whole build and stuff again. That we had Joe was, was incredible, that kind of the look and feel, and people still walk in, and, wow, it's such a beautiful space. And, and anyway, we set it up, and it was going really nicely. I think our expectations were really low, and it was doing a lot better than we thought. And it was building and building, and we got to a place where we were five months in, we were like, wow, actually, this is, it's a business. And then COVID came, boom and everything shut. And I was like, oh my God. So come late March and April last year was a very dark time because of course now you all your eggs are in these baskets and you have no backup plan. The backup plan is this. We didn't know at the time how long it was gonna last. We didn't know whether things would reopen. We didn't know what was gonna happen. Landlords are asking for rent, all that kind of stuff. Financially, we've always been quite prudent, but you blow through money very fast at a time like that. It was pretty stressful. But then when things could reopen, the clinic could reopen really fast after about five weeks. And so we got it going again and then it just exploded. And I think we've therefore benefited from people working from home and sadly people sitting at bad desks and a lot of weekend warriors going out for runs that didn't go for runs previously. Looking back at it, the light bulb just went off and I said this to Joe, we can do this. Without a shadow of a doubt, we can do this. Why not? We could do this better than anyone else. I think we've grown in confidence together. Slightly different stages of it. And I think at times we've pushed each other into something that the other one was maybe hesitating a little bit. And other times I've slowed things down when things were going too fast. What I also realized, Joe likes a graph. So as soon as I, I would pull together stuff about different bits of our business and show it to her in graph form, <laughs> then all of a sudden she'd be like, oh, wow. I also think we have a really good culture. We've done some work with you guys about this before, and that was massively beneficial. It also just helped us to solidify and think a little bit more objectively about our culture. And actually, we have a good culture in our business because it's us, we're a husband and wife team, because we're personal. We treat it like a family business, which you're either gonna love or you're gonna hate. Some people come into it and they're like, oh my God, I can't work for a husband and wife, it's just ridiculous. But other people come in and they feel like they found their home. And I think that's what we want. We want yeah. people to feel like they found something where they're a part of it and they're engaged and they feel like they're not just a number, they're not just a cash cow effectively to make the bosses rich so that they can go off on extravagant holidays and things like that. It's not like that at all. To build it would be really hard. It feels like organically that's yeah. just been an expression of us really more than anything else. Yeah. What piece of advice or one thing you would like to add for people who are you know, at a point in their life where they you know, may have to make some difficult choices or they, they desire something very strongly and they're not sure whether it's the right thing to do. It's daring to make a change, but that's an obvious one. Gut feeling, you can feel it's right, so you can feel it's wrong. Often we overthink things, we over discuss things, and then we just go, but it doesn't feel right. Mm. So, or it does feel right. So let's just go with that. Mm. But if it feels right now, then uh, act on the right now, I think, mm -hmm. is what's led us quite a lot 
For me, it's, you've got to back yourself. I look at it and I go, we have every right and every ability to make, make success out of at whatever we've chosen to do as anyone else. So you've got to just back yourself at a certain point without being reckless. Of course, I say that don't just throw caution to the wind without, you've got to have done your research and your homework. A lot of the time we are our own handbrake. That doubt comes into you and it's, oh, I can't do this. Oh, it's going to be really hard. And oh, there's going to be discomfort and things like that. And there is, absolutely. There's loads of discomfort right? and, and it happens all the time. And that's the downside of all this stuff is that it's uncomfortable, but being uncomfortable shouldn't be the reason not to do it. For me, that was a bit of a light bulb moment where instead of doubting myself, it became more about actually I can do this. The other thing that has probably been the single driver for us is to be open to opportunities around you. The difference between a lucky and an unlucky person is often just the ability to keep your head up and look around. To, if someone wants to have a conversation with you, sit and talk to them, engage in what they're doing, listen to what they have to say. They might not be a driver in your life at all, or they may be, you never really know, but if you don't talk to them, you'll, they'll never be anything. A lot of the stuff that we've got in our lives has really come off the back of that. If I think about how our business started, how any, getting the gym, getting our corporate clients, all that kind of stuff, it really comes down to just being open to experiences. We've never been guaranteed that we'd succeed, but we've taken an opportunity mm. and we've zigged and zagged along and we've gone left and right and shimmied and shaped and you get to a place where you have something that's worth value. But it's but if you didn't make that decision in the first place, you didn't have that conversation, you didn't go with it, then you would never really know. Yep. Yeah. I think it's a very valuable piece of advice. Joe, Pierre, thank you so much. Thanks, Greg. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Derby Podcast. I hope it inspired you and that you got to learn about what it actually is like when you decide to do what you really want to do. If you like this episode, please share it and subscribe on your usual podcast player. If you want some help to find direction, have a look at Derby, the course and community, which you can find at www.derby.me. It's D-A-R-E-B-E dot M-E. Till next we meet, Derby yourself. <laughs>